right it's so nice to like kind of meet you <laughs> oh how are you I'll be um, in your in your country in August actually I'll be in London for five days on our honeymoon so oh, really have to get uh, together if you're around yeah for sure let me know when you're here that would be awesome how exciting Welcome to My Neurodivergent Diary with me, Kitty Cowell. This podcast is all about the subject of neurodivergent people and uh, how that differs to neurotypical people, basically. So, hey, Liz. (laughs) How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. It is a Monday here, so as good as it can be on a Monday. Yeah, exactly. So true. So the reason we know each other, right, um, is because because of sneakers to start with, right? Yep. How I know most people, either sneakers or some kind of music. Um, but you are a therapist and I just wanted to bring you on a podcast because, A, you're such an interesting person to talk to. Like, I think the reason we vibe over like social media is because without being rude to anybody, we're not just posting sneakers. We're not just posting fit pics. Like we have stuff to talk about. We have many a time slid in DMs and like chatted to each other in depth about things. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I thought it'd be really interesting to get a therapist. I know you don't specialize in like neurodivergent people or anything like that, but I just think it's so interesting to look at like, I don't know, normal situations like therapy, which well, should be normalized anyway. <laughs> Um, and how maybe, you know, learning that somebody's neurodivergent or, you know, knowing that someone's neurotypical, like maybe that affects therapy. And if that's anything you've come across in your practice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something I come across quite often. Um, I work, my practice primarily consists of athletes, entertainer, entertainers and creatives. So a lot of creators actually and creatives are neurodivergent. There's yep. a, quite a few that to their benefit or to their, you know, non-benefit struggle with different diagnoses that can be classified as neurodivergence. And so with that, you know, I, I do encounter it a lot. And I think it's really challenging depending on the individual um, because what happens is sometimes putting a label on something is really helpful for people. Um, it gives, you know, clarity, it gives meaning, gives understanding. Whereas some people don't like labels, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think it's always trying to navigate on an individual level of, you know, depending who I'm working with and what makes the most sense in their treatment. Um, you know, ADHD is, a diagnosis that falls under neurodivergence, among others, personality disorders as well. But, you know, there are some people who might prefer to use the term ADHD. Also, geographically, you know, like Mm -hmm. some states, some cities, some uh, countries are certain terms are more accepted than others. Um, And certain terms are just more widely understood and known. Whereas, you might say neuro neurodivergent, whereas other people might say ADHD, and they both can be under the same umbrella, but some person might not even understand that ADHD falls under that. So, you know, yeah. I think it really comes down to the individual and how they want to be referred to. 
Yeah, it's so true. The whole thing about labels is really interesting. And it's something that I don't know, I guess, like, I'm extremely lucky in some respects that I've been diagnosed as dyslexic since I was six years old. So in that perspective, I've known I'm neurodivergent. I didn't really know that word, you know, for a long time, though. But um, I knew I was neurodivergent for a very long time. And I'm lucky that I had a lot of help from like such a young age. And my education was like the main focus of like my entire, you know, youth. That's what my parents were so focused on. Um, And I know that like, some people don't don't like labels, like you say, but the frustrating thing is, there are so many people that I meet and like, they are dyslexic they are ADHD um or there's some you know there's something that they fall under and they've never had any help for it because they didn't want to be labeled or their parents didn't want them to be labeled and there's a lot of the time it's parents sort of looking at their kid and being like I don't want them to be different I don't want them to be treated differently but unfortunately what's so sad about that is and I think therapy is a similar thing I think it's more normalized in America but here none of this stuff is normalized right and it's very much like parents going, oh, I don't want my, my kid to be looked at differently and treated differently. However, what they literally need is to be looked at and treated differently. And otherwise they struggle trying mm-hmm. to fit into this society that like is not made for them. And it's it's really interesting. My mom is um a dyslexia tutor and assessor. She was a she was a fashion designer and many years later changed career and like she's really highly qualified in in dyslexia assessments but it means that she can also identify other things and then she's like okay now you need to go for an ADHD assessment etc and she said to me a lot of the time because I was only ever diagnosed with dyslexia dyslexia but we now think that I'm probably ADD so I'm like going down trying to find that um assessment at the moment and my mom was like a lot of the time people don't notice until they like leave home and there are things that they like didn't have to deal with alone that they now have to and it's, yeah. it's, it's really frustrating because I'm like, well, as someone who, for me, like I've had so much help and I'm so lucky and I don't care about the label. I think it's kind of cool. Like I've never, I was, I was not brought up that way to feel like I should be ashamed of stuff like that. Um, but I'm still frustrated. I'm like, oh my God, imagine I knew that I was ADHD or ADD, whichever I am. Could it have changed other things? Cause you know, there's so many things that I'm like, shit, now I'm figuring this out and I'm figuring that out. And it like all makes sense. And those kids that just struggle throughout school, school's so hard. Like, it's very similar. I think, you know, we have differences between our systems in America and the UK, but realistically, the whole process is quite similar. We're all pushed into these boxes that we don't all fit into. And it's really interesting because with therapy, I don't know scientifically or medically how this kind of like works. But for me, I think the reason I've started to work out that I was maybe... ADD or ADHD as well as being dyslexic is because as I went through my therapy journey I learned how to do like coping skills how to do things that were better for me a lot of it I looked at as like I was just living under this kind of depression cloud you know like how people describe that um for years for like most of my life right as a teenager as as in my young 20s and stuff and as I broke out of those habits I started to like realize other things and I don't I wonder and I I wanted to ask you this like there's now conversations coming up where ADHD is being talked about a lot people are saying people get diagnosed as being like 
depressed or or like something that's more under like the mental health categories as opposed to like the neurodivergent categories and then later find out that actually it's part of their ADHD um and it's kind of interesting because I was like do you think that maybe neurodivergent people do you do you think they need therapy more or also do you think sometimes that they get like down the therapy route and then realize other stuff you know like it all kind of seems to be linked is basically my point Yeah, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. You know, I'm a big proponent that therapy can be beneficial for literally anyone as long as you're willing to do the work. Yeah. And that's the hard part is that, you know, for a lot of people finding out about any diagnosis, any disorder that you might be labeled is a shock, can be a shock, you know? And so just even processing that information and then taking that next step into, okay, well, what does the treatment plan look like? What are the steps that I need to do in order to improve coping skills in order to recognize patterns and blind spots that are happening in my life that I can improve upon. Um, But then again, you also think of all the other systems in our life. So when like systems theory is essentially saying like the school system, family system, um, if you have, you know, friends, the support system, jobs, um, all the other aspects and places and environments in our life and how all of those also kind of have to be on the same page. And when you think of a little, like what you were saying with school, like from little up, like it is challenging because schools are very standardized and we as humans are not standardized. We often fit in the gray area and, you know, none of our experiences are the same. None of our brains are wired exactly the same and because of schools trying to put us into a box that is already one system that might not always be on the right page for you know that person who might be neurodivergent now adding therapy into the mix can obviously be very helpful because then it's giving another system that can be complementary or supplementary or you know if you have a really good family and support system at home to anchor them down. That's another good support, but it's also the importance of just having all the systems in place to some level be good enough. It doesn't have to be perfect because nothing's really perfect, but the idea of it being good enough, I think is really important. And I think, yeah, like there are times where people, you know, who are neurodivergent also have comorbid mental health concerns, you know, anxiety and ADHD are very commonly co-occurring that, you know, you might have ADHD and sometimes those symptoms and the limitations that come with those symptoms, or even with dyslexia or autism spectrum disorder, like they can also create or um, coexist with symptoms of anxiety or depression. Um, And it's kind of this like, which came first, the chicken or the egg debate of how do they, is it one, is it the other, is it both? And, you know, as a therapist, and this might be a little controversial, but for me, when I look at diagnosing, it's really just about being able to give insurance companies a code so that person can get the services they need. Um, Yes, the label is important, but it's also very subjective depending on what information is presented in sessions. Like I might diagnose a client differently than another therapist just because the presenting information we have could be very different. Um, so it's tricky, I guess I say all this Mm. to say is that it's, it's very complex. It's very tricky, but 
I think therapy can be really helpful for for anyone. Do you know, by the way, if you are like neurotypical or neurodivergent? Uh, I would say there's been times where I've been I've been tested for ADHD. Um, it's never I've never officially been diagnosed, but I think that I might struggle with right at times. Um, but it's hard, you know, like it because like and like you said, the environment. Like when I went to college, that was the first time I've noticed a big change in my environment where my routine and my structure was so thrown off that that's when I started to notice symptoms changing. Um, But then by that point, ADHD is often diagnosed more frequently in younger children. Mm. And it's harder as an adult to get diagnosed with ADHD. So it's um, something I'm trying to decide right now, like and work through with my therapist and psychiatrist, if it's anxiety or if it's ADHD or both well this is the thing that whole like I think you're right I think you hit the nail on the head that like it makes logical sense right that anybody that fits somewhere within that neurodivergent spectrum there are going to be challenges that you have to face right from being you know a young child but especially in your adulthood because you just have more things to do you know and less support in some ways and it makes sense that anxiety, especially, and maybe potentially depression, you know, could coincide with those things. Because for me, it, it makes so much sense. This one thing that I keep kind of like my brain keeps going back to is that I was so like, not like, not like messy as a kid, but like unorganized is the best way to put it. Like I remember having my parents moved into this big house at one point and I had the biggest room. I don't know how I figured that out, but somehow I got the biggest room. And I couldn't tell you in that, especially in that time, I was like my late teens, right? It was like before I went off to uni and I couldn't tell you what that bedroom really like looked like in terms of like how it was laid out. I kind of have like vague memories. It's really weird. Whereas when I was really little, when I was like a young, like when I was 11, for example, a young teenager, um, I was, I mean, exactly the same as I am now, but a big mosher, you know, like loved my Limp Bizkit and my new metal. <laughs> And I remember coming home and I'd wanted to paint flames on my wall for like ages. And my mom was painting flames on my wall. And I was like, what the fuck? Because my dad was really like me. I was like very tomboy. My mom was always trying to bring out the girly side of me. And I was like, shit, she's like on board with this situation. (laughs) And I can tell you everything. It was a tiny room. I don't know if that has also something to do with it, but I could tell you exactly what that bedroom looked like. Mm -hmm. And then... I don't know I think I got life got more stressful you do exams after that and stuff you know and and my dyslexia meant that like it's harder for me and I had extra time you know I was lucky I did have support but it's weird that I just don't really have those memories plus I just remember it being quite chaotic like where is my stuff it's kind of like just piles of things and when I went off to uni I was quite similar but like because you're moving into like a uni flat and you you have less space and yeah I just I I think I started to figure out like what the pressure was in that same period of time and kind of looking when it, when I went through therapy it was like even before I got into therapy like self-help books are just kind of like you know organization doing little things for yourself like making your bed and just I don't know going down that whole like Mary Kondo route and all these little things just thinking like how that helps my brain when like my space is clear and they say that thing of like doom piles of ADHD, right? 
definitely that's something that I used to do and still to an extent do but like this is what I mean by I wasn't a messy person but it just was also chaos yeah and it's really interesting how those two things you know it's therapy that I didn't even think about ADHD I was just like oh my god I was depressed I was just like under this big depression cloud and like everything was kind of not cool you know like not good like things were just chaotic and then when I started to learn more about ADHD and I'm like oh shit that also kind of makes sense like it's just interesting and I think 100% it makes sense that like we would be more anxious we would have more reasons to be depressed because unless you've really got someone who gets it you know in your family advocating for you and like super super supportive like as much as your parents can even try like not everybody's gonna know everything you know um but yeah it's like I feel very lucky that like I say I've had the support I've had because some people have had none yeah yeah and that you know when you don't have that support I think that also just perpetuates the stigma you know like that makes it harder to get help it makes it harder to feel like it's okay to get help it makes it harder to ask questions or even look into things because you're not even sure like is this normal is this not normal like normal there's no such thing as normal but compared to everyone else in my family why do I feel so different why do I do things differently and not knowing that that is normal but it's just a different type of normal and we have to make adaptations and just do things differently to match the way that this person's brain functions versus like how someone else's brain might function like it's just as important it's like kind of like when you're going to therapy and you're trying to find a therapist that's a good fit for you not every therapist is going to be the right match for you and that's okay but just as like everyone's brain you know especially when you think of neurodivergence is different and you have to find different skills and ways of doing things with your life that match and make sense for for you and that's okay but I think we also just need to talk about that more and like provide people with more support on it and have a little bit more patience I think like people are so quick to you know what's wrong with you why aren't you instead of thinking from like a trauma-informed lens like what happened to you what's going on that maybe you do things differently and how can we adapt to this and make adjustments so true I think it's really interesting how like these two things are like colliding so much especially on social media right now I feel like we had this like in a very good way but also like less so now that it's coming to an end but you know this whole like oh my god mental health is so important on social media you know what I mean it's like everything was buzzwords and everybody knows the word narcissist now and you're like you don't actually know what you're talking about um and you know everybody knows that boundaries exist but like have you actually learned what a boundary is from a therapist because otherwise stop throwing that word around you know it's like this good thing and on the same side of it it's like people throwing buzzwords around that they don't understand is kind of a negative thing and we're now seeing that with neurodivergence like that word has not been thrown around before ADHD is so topical right now to the point it's like in the UK media, we have literally just had like two shows that are on mainstream TV. One that was like following an influencer who's like already a TV star influencer, you know, he's from like reality TV, getting an ADHD diagnosis. 
And then also on the flip hand, they had this like awful documentary of this guy like faking ADHD to get a diagnosis, which is just ridiculous. Like it's crazy. For the medication? Yeah, well, he he was like testing the system to see like what he could get away with. And then he's trying to say that private ADHD um, assessments are like, you can just pay to get diagnosed. And you're like, but why would you? Because it costs loads of money. And like, if you don't have it, literally why would you it, it's really bizarre but I think we also had the same thing with mental health when it started to become you know talked about more it's like this positive and this negative impact of it, things becoming more topical and they are so related so it's really interesting just seeing this all happen on social media which is kind of why I wanted to start this podcast because I was like everyone's talking about ADHD like that's the topical thing right now and then like the word neurodivergent but most people don't know that, that also means like OCD you know mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. things that are not so I think we put ADHD ADD dyslexia they're kind of in these like learning issues you know like they're kind of school related maybe workplace yeah. related but Obviously we never aspect, yeah yeah and uh, also people kind of don't think about how that affects people's like social like life as well and and you know just like everything in their life it's kind of like oh that's like reading and writing or like being hyperactive but otherwise it doesn't affect you and it's like whoa that is not fucking true just like in the same way OCD is so misunderstood and I'm sure like Mm. as a therapist like I don't know if you can tell me um you know like what experience you've had with any of these things before with clients you know what I don't know what, what you can share but OCD seems to be the most like like confusing like no one understands what what that means people take it so lightly and it's so debilitating isn't it yeah yeah people with OCD really struggle with intrusive thoughts whether it's obsessions or compulsions and the obsessions might be desires to or intrusive thoughts that you're just obsessing over a certain thing and now oftentimes people feel like oh, OCD means you're really clean or you're really organized. And they'll throw the word around like, oh, my OCD, I cleaned my house today because I'm so OCD. And I'm like, no, OCD, when people struggle with intrusive thoughts, you can have thoughts of wanting to harm someone else, sexual intrusive thoughts, like intrusive thoughts of wanting to harm yourself. Like they're pretty severe thoughts. Now, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to act on them, but it's the fact, it's terrifying to be having thoughts of like, you know, sitting at a subway station thinking of jumping in front of a train, you know, like Mm. that is something that someone with OCD can experience. And it is very, very scary and debilitating. And then when you open up to someone about that, who might not know what OCD is, they go into this, I need to get help. And there's always that risk of like calling 911, going to a psych, you know, inpatient facility and like people just making sure you're assessing for the proper diagnosis and like assessing like is there actual suicidal ideation is there an intent or is this just intrusive thoughts that Mm. are no intent and it's we're just working on reducing the severity and frequency of them but it's really hard and then the compulsive side is you know the behavioral component to it like where people might feel like if I don't turn my light switch on and off 50 times before I leave my house, something bad will happen, even though logically we know that that's not aligned, but that's how people feel. And the anxiety that comes from that, because OCD falls under an anxiety disorder that you physically feel so anxious until you 
do that act that it's almost like this unhealthy release of that obsession or compulsion um and so it's it's a pretty serious thing and I think you know when people throw around the term OCD it's it, it is really challenging to you know in a respectful way like correct people I don't want to be like the oh like I don't want to be that person but mm. at the same time like it dilutes the importance of yeah the people who really are struggling with these you know disorders and I think too like it's not a trend to have OCD or be diagnosed with you know like even I saw on TikTok lately there's like a trend going around of like oh I let my intrusive thoughts won I did this and it's like Mm. no like you just acted on a thought it's that's not even like an intrusive thought per se but yeah it's a shame because like it dilutes the importance of what it really is for the people who really do struggle day to day with those symptoms yeah it's so important I had I've had loads of nightmares with this podcast and I recorded the most amazing podcast and I haven't released it yet because we had a video issue and I was like oh it's so good I'd rather redo it so I'm trying to decide what to do with that at the moment but it's with this guy called Max who is has OCD and we talked about it and it was so fascinating listening to him and it's so frustrating you know also listening to him and just realizing like how ignorant people are to it because it's like it was it was it became so bad I think this is the thing like the intrusive thoughts can make you feel like you're an awful person because you're like why the fuck am I thinking these things right and then that leads to depression which can actually lead to suicidal ideology as opposed to like that's where you were first because you didn't understand it and if you're just living in your head which so many people are like it's so serious it's very frustrating like I love the fact that we're talking more about all of this stuff now and so you know it is it is great that we have social media as this tool that we can use it to put the right stuff out there but like uh, you know and exactly what you were just saying with TikTok just now it's also frustrating I had this thing like exactly what you were just saying with TikTok then I had this thing where like there are certain people that as I've gone through therapy I mean my therapist is literally there like this person is an awful human (laughs) you know I'm there like telling them things and like now these people are not really in my life I'm like I've given boundaries and I've put them you know away and they're kind of it's that really hard thing of they're part of my like group you know so it's so hard to remove them but actually yeah I've done that process now but the point I'm making is that one of these people they were so on it with like stuff on the internet like feeding themselves information and also looking like they know a lot about what they're talking about and that's what kept me going back. It's like, oh, they're such a great person because like I can ask them these questions when I want to check on like if I'm going to write the right thing. And, you know, they seem like so knowledgeable. Yeah. So what I was saying was the point of the, the point of what I'm trying to get to is I had been given this person countless boundaries and my boundaries, like I was still in the process of like learning about them, you know, and trying to hold them and implicate them because growing up there were none (laughs) like around me that was that's the biggest kind of I guess let down in my family sort of network shall we say and um so it's been a big journey for me so as I was learning about it I was giving this person boundaries and when they were doing things that disrespected me I was like listen if you continue to do this I'm not going to be okay with being friends with you anymore like I do not appreciate being treated like this and I'd be polite but firm 
and then one way or another months down the line they'd end up kind of like crossing you know back over and because this is an ongoing process until I was like no that's I'm done like here is the boundary you've you've crossed it too many times and it was you know I get that that's on me and on them but the joke the, the absolute joke was one time I sent them a stupid TikTok this person <laughs> it was a really stupid TikTok and I was just kind of like what the fuck is this like they were really into TikTok and I was just getting into it like in the pandemic and they responded with oh my god what the fuck is this do like never send me a TikTok like that again. I never want to see it. This is a boundary. And I was like, but yeah, that's fine. Like you've never said you don't want to see a TikTok like that before. <laughs> All you have to do is tell me that and I won't do it again. Like you implement boundaries when someone continues to, you tell them to not do something yeah. and they continue to do it. Like you've never told me this before. And they were like, you've you've used the word boundary at me multiple times and you are always throwing around boundaries and now I'm giving a boundary and I was like but that's that's not how it works as <laughs> is like my like my kind of question to you is and maybe like some advice that we can give out from this podcast mm-hmm. I don't think they're a bad person that person I'm talking about I don't think they're a great person but I think a lot of the problem is is that TikTok and social media in general it's a good starting point for us to learn about things right yeah people will grab this information and especially if you've maybe got friends around you that use these words and you don't necessarily know too much about what they mean yet you can feel a bit intimidated by that and I get that so you turn to social media and you're like okay you know that's what everybody's saying now so like how do I use that term it's a lot more important than that. And unfortunately, I think in doing so, people are watering down the importance of these things. It, the same as what you said about using the word OCD, right? Mm-hmm. So what can we say to people like, you know, where can they look to go, okay, I keep hearing this this like phrase, boundaries. If I don't have, you know, the I'm not committed yet to therapy or, you know, I don't have the money yet, like, you know, I'm thinking about it, but like, where can I start to learn about this to think maybe I need to go to therapy? You get what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I think a couple words that are coming to mind are curiosity, um, knowing that it's okay to admit humility, um, and leading with both of those. And I, what I mean when I say that is leading with curiosity, trying to find information about that topic from multiple sources outside of social media to make sure that you're fact-checking your information across the board to make sure that what you're seeing online is the same as what you're reading, you know, on a, in a book or on a website or from a trusted professional, right? With humility, I think it's also being open about the fact that we don't know everything and that's okay because we're human and we're not going to know everything. But I think what is admirable is taking the initiative to learn something, to educate ourselves on something, to own up to the fact that we are learning and then we're trying to figure it out. And I think, you know, I'm a big proponent of like, Hey, if I'm trying to learn about boundaries, what are some books or some podcasts and polling your friends, your audience, whoever it may be on what they recommend. And then listening to what sparks your interest and seeing what you can garner 
and what information you can derive from any of those and make sense of what you may with that. Um, but I also think on the flip side of that, it's really hard because lately, especially with social media, right? Like cancel culture is very real. And I'm not the biggest proponent of that because I, I really do think that it creates a lot of anxiety for people to be wrong, right? Like I'm all for holding people accountable. I'm all for, you know, whatever, I don't even like the term canceling, but like if someone's a really shitty person and there's malice and really malicious intent behind their actions, yes, like that's a different story. But like if someone genuinely does not realize and are and maybe are using a term the wrong way, I don't think they should be shunned for for that. You know, I think we also need to do a better job at differentiating scenarios like that online and not just calling someone out and bullying them or making them feel bad about themselves because they don't know if they're trying and feeling feeling like how can we be better allies and supports to those people because when it comes to mental health specifically as a topic like to you know go 10 steps forward and then 20 steps back that's counterproductive like we're not doing any good for the overall community and the overall movement of mental health when like someone does try to talk about it but they're wrong and then everyone yells at them and then they never want to talk about it again and scares someone from getting help or spreading accurate information moving forward so I think it's finding the balance there but you know what I would say is like really just like quick google search what are some top books to read on boundaries what are some top books to read on or podcasts about boundaries like you go to Spotify and literally search podcast boundaries and like see what the top hits are and just listen you know and if even if you learned like two little things of information, that's, that's a win. Um, but I think too, like oftentimes people think like boundaries are just like teaching people how you can be treated or how you're, how you want to be treated. And it not, doesn't always have to do with other people. Sometimes boundaries are financial, you know, like you might set financial boundaries of how we spend our money. We might um, set boundaries with like our environment of like what we allow in our space and what we don't allow in our space. Um, with our time, we might set a boundary. You know, there's so many different ways that we can set boundaries. But I think too, like given everything with mental health online, like boundary has this kind of like negative connotation to it. And it's really not that. It's just teaching and allowing certain things in and out of our lives. And it's just you know, we have porous boundaries, we have rigid boundaries, we have healthy boundaries, and it always fluctuates. And it doesn't mean because we're, we have good boundaries with money, that we're going to have good boundaries in every other aspect of our life, we might struggle in some. So it's also the self-awareness to know where we need to work on that and where we don't. So yeah, sorry. (laughs) No, that's so great. I think I mean, I hope people listening to this kind of, you know, can take a lot from that. And that's the whole point. And I think the whole self-awareness thing is so important. Like, I think more so people that have been on the negative side of being almost too self-aware, too self-deprecating are the ones that end up being more self-aware. The people that are on the other side of it, it's very hard to pull them back into being self-aware. People that are just not there at all, right? you know it's it's more so the like codependent people that are like so self-aware because they're so like anxious about everything and it's so hard when people are on the flip side of that because they can be so ignorant to themselves and it's and it's so hard to make them when they're seeing this stuff on the internet for example they can be very self-righteous to like well I've seen this on the internet so like it must be right and it's like no 
and the interesting thing you say about um about this like cancel culture I feel exactly the same and I've been saying this for years and it tends to be those people like I just discussed like the, the example I gave right that are the ones that are so out there on their social media as being like you know I fact check everything you know like I'm so for everybody I'm so for the people whereas knowing those people well like and fortunately removing myself a bit from people like that because I've seen it, these people that put themselves out there like that are so quick to cancel other people. And actually all their like knowledge is surface level in what makes it, them look good on the internet. And I'm sure there is a part of them that is wanting to do good, but it's more mm-hmm. about the fact that they self-loathe and they, they, they're projecting this thing out there that is like making them feel good. And on top of that, it makes them feel good when they pull others down, which is so negative and counterproductive to someone who's apparently like, you know, advocating for other people all the time. And it's really interesting that they're only doing that when it's something that they can show on the internet. Whereas when a friend is, is, you know, saying, I don't appreciate how you're treating me, like they're not doing any research within what a boundary means, you know? Um, it's, It's just those people. That's what I figured, like in, in all my kind of like experiences on the internet, you know, our generation, we've been on the internet for so long. Oh the my MySpace God. era. <laughs> yep. It's it's kind of nice to know that like, okay, this just keeps happening. It still exists. We're still here. These things come and go. We will survive. I think I have this thing of like, you can get through it, but it is really scary. And it is scary to you know be worried that you're gonna say the wrong thing and get cancelled I think something needs to be like a new term it really really does because when we were cancelling people like and fair enough awful people need to be cancelled but then what let's say we're talking about you know an awful man that's done all you know horrible things right and we're like we need to out this because a man can't keep being in a place of power yeah but then we just cancel him and then what happens because if we just go straight to the internet to do that it's not being taken to the right place do you get what I mean like legally and then this man is just going to go into the dark and do those things that's an extreme you know version of talking about it and it's the same I think with everything if we if we just put it out there and shame people they're not going to go and try and do better yeah I don't know what the answer like what what next phrase we can come up with but accountability is is what we need to be making people and making people accountable for their actions not just cancelling them like it's I don't know. I don't know if you have an answer or like an idea. No, I don't. It's tough because like at the same time, like part of me is like, you know, I try to always remind and remind myself that the internet is not real life. Yeah. You know, that there's so much happening like IRL that when I find myself getting caught up in like the bullshit online, I have to distance myself. I have to just like on, un- you know, unplug for a couple days to really just reground myself in what I'm doing because I find too when I'm online and I get I go down that rabbit hole and I start focusing then on what other people are saying or doing then I'm straying away from like my purpose and like why I'm here doing what I'm doing so it's finding the balance of like when I want we got to hold people accountable but at the same time like staying grounded in our roots and like what our mission is and you know hoping that if we also model that behavior for others others are more inclined to follow suit um and it's hard because like ego you know definitely gets in the way at times and like I'm totally guilty of going online and getting caught up in the highlight reels and then 
spiraling and getting in a very negative state of mind and working on just like recognizing that happens, knowing that that's like a good indicator for me. Like nothing productive is going to come from me when I'm in that mind state because of what other people are doing online that I can't necessarily control. So the only thing I can do is like try to have a conversation, raise account, like raise the idea out, put it out there into the world that like this information is incorrect. And then just continue to stay rooted in my purpose of, you know, making sure what I'm doing is correct, making sure that I'm doing the work in real life as well as online. And then I'm not only talking the talk, I'm walking the walk. Um, But it's so hard because the internet really like, I don't know. I think even after COVID, like it's different, it's a different world online and it's nice sometimes to just really get caught up in the real world again yeah Yeah, that's true that's good advice I I appreciate that I think we can use it to spread hopefully good messages and you know also it's a great platform for work and things like that but really what really matters is what's happening and it's just there for us to share that when we have the time to as opposed to being constantly on it it's not good for anybody Yeah. And I think too, like, you know, social media is meant to be social and like we can curate what we see on there and who we interact with on there. And if, you know, real recognizes real, I know how corny that is to say, but like, (laughs) it's true. Like, you know, the people I'm more inclined to have conversations with online and like check in on and whatever, like, are the people that I know, like, are really about what they're about, whatever that is, you know, and I respect that so much. And eventually, like, the people who aren't doing it for the right reasons, it does get exposed in some way, shape, or form. Or when the new wave of some other topic comes along, they're always the first ones to jump onto that new wave of whatever it is. And we'll still be here fighting the good fight for mental health because yeah. it's our it's what we care about. Yeah, that's so true. Well, I'm, uh, like, I really appreciate you chatting to me. And also, I just want to say that, like, it's so sick to have seen, I don't know how long I've been, like, following you on the internet for, a couple of years at least, if not more than a couple, maybe a few now. Um, And it's, like, so cool to see how you've really advocated every time. It's, like, you know, mental health awareness. It's the same as, like, mental health awareness month, same as, like, pride month. You know, all these things where you're, like, okay, brands, can we can we actually get people who know what they're talking about to be part of this? Um, yeah. and it's been really cool to see that happen big up like the hundreds for getting you on board and and Nike and especially the hundreds because you know exactly what you just said I feel is true of Bobby so yeah. You, yeah. you're like it's a good did person you, Bobby and Leah McSweeney just did a podcast where they talked a lot about both being diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder recently an episode yeah. just came out um, so if you haven't heard it I'm, I didn't listen to it it's in my queue right now to to check out but yeah he I saw him the other week and he was sharing he has been open about it but yeah it's um it's interesting and it's cool like to start seeing people feel more open to share their own stories and be forthcoming you know because theaters in the industry like that it's cool to see so yeah definitely definitely so many people look up to him so it's like so cool to hear people like you know, like him be honest about that stuff. I will definitely check that out. I, I'm always like keeping one foot in with what Bobby's doing and I'm like, I can never keep up because he does so much cool shit. So much. 
he's all over the place i don't know how he does it i don't know when he sleeps but it's very cool well i appreciate it so much and guys if you have not heard of liz before you are at liz beecroft i think on instagram right yeah and then you have mental sesh yeah your brand so i will put all that info like under the podcast and under all the socials i'll put it on the on the youtube video here so you can go and follow her and check out all her cool shit and like actually get some uh some real mental health (laughs) social media advice to follow not some bullshit um (laughs) no i really really appreciate chatting to you it has been great and thank you so much mate of course of course and i'll keep in touch if i'm out when when i'm out in august we'll have to get together irl yes please that would be so sick Uh, i don't know what you're like wanting to do but message me and i'll give you a heads up of any cool spaces that i can give Awesome. Thank you, May. I'll see you on the internet. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>